Good morning. I am Luke Gilchrist. I'm one of the deacons here, and I'm going to be speaking this morning on chapter 13. Um, welcome for coming out here. Um, I see a lot of new faces. I know that, that we uh, have had a lot of uh, success with our new radio program that has been playing on 91.3 Monday through Friday. So if you've gotten used to hearing Shane speak, uh, please know that I'm just standing in for him. He's in Mexico City right now. And, um, you know, I, I preached about, uh, I think about six weeks ago. And um, it's my pleasure to fill in for Shane when he's out because it gives him the opportunity to uh, be able to travel and do other things. So um, we have a great chapter today. Whenever Shane calls me, I always feel uh, like the Lord has given me an opportunity to uh, work on myself as well as bless you all with a message. And so um, I always feel like there's some divine connection. And, and definitely this, this message for me has been um, something that's really impacted me. Uh, since, since I'm from West Texas, for those of you all who don't know me, West Texas is, is a lot like Israel. There's parts of it that are just mountains and rocks. And there's not much water. There's not much else. Uh, the first time I went out to West Texas and took my wife, and, you know, the desert has its own beauty, but uh, she's just said, where are the trees, you know? And, and uh, a lot of people feel that way, but there's something beautiful about the desert. And so that's where we find uh, the Israelites is uh, in chapter 13, they uh, are on the cusp of inter, uh, fulfilling the, the promise of God and, and taking hold of everything that God has laid before them. So last week, Shane went over chapter 11, and uh, we're going to skip over chapter 12. Chapter 12 is basically a list of the fulfillment of God's faithfulness to the Israelites. And um, there are 31 kings, which are not actually kings in the way that we may think of kings of countries, but these are kings of city-states, and uh, the, the Bible lists them as the kings and the cities that were subdued by the Israelites, and now we enter into chapter 13 of Joshua, and we see what God has planned from here on out. So let me, let me just pray for us as we get started. Heavenly Father, I just come before you, and I ask you to fill this place. I just ask you to speak through me. Lord, I am your servant, and I want to speak your word faithfully. And whatever you would have me share today, Lord, I pray that you would help me to communicate that. That you would open our hearts and our minds so that you would be glorified. And that we would learn and understand your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so chapter 13 uh, opens up with God making a declaration to Joshua, and this amazing man of faith, we, we sometimes forget that Joshua is now old in years, but he's not just old in years, he was somewhere between 85 and 100 years, depending on which commentary you read. But um, he was also someone who had aged from having a hard life. And his face must have been weathered, his eyes must have been weathered, his hands must have been weathered, even his heart in some ways may have been weathered. The trials of life, the trials of battle, the responsibility of leading God's people had taken a toll on him. And those things were starting to show and he wasn't the young man that he once was so you know uh a lot of times we we think that when we become a christian that we all of a sudden are guaranteed an easy life how many have thought that before i certainly have i'm, I'm very guilty of that especially early on in my faith you know, I thought that because I was a believer that God uh, had somehow allotted me a, a 
a hedge of protection from, from trials and difficulties that would, that would harm me. But we know as we walk with God that he is not telling us that we will never experience pain and suffering, but rather that he will be with us during that time. And that is, what, that is what these chapters are, is that God walked always before and behind and alongside Joshua as he conquered these different city-states and took possession of the land that they were promised. And so, likewise, the Christian, uh, the Christian as we get older, we see that life can take a toll on us, right? And uh, life has its pain, especially uh, in, in this culture that we live in, what, what is it that we exemplify? What is it that, that this culture loves? It, we love leisure. Who likes Instagram? I love Instagram. I think it's, it's one of my favorite social media. Uh, why do I like Instagram? Because you really don't have to worry about people's opinions. You just get to see pretty photos, right? And so uh, I kind of like you know, deflected from the other types of social media, but Instagram is great. But, you know, Instagram is, is a, a great representation of our, our, the age we live in, the, the society that we live in. It's only the best photos, right? And you get to pe- see people smiling. How come people never put, like, photos of them crying or, like, horrible, you know, tragedy? Because people don't want to see that, right? And, and uh, you know, that, that is a a snapshot of what we live in. We, we, we live in a society where, where we want pain avoidance, right? We want responsibility avoidance. We live in a, in a society where never before in the history of the world have people been getting married so late and having kids so late in life. Never before in the history of the world. This is the first time. Why? There's a lot of reasons. Some of, our, some of those reasons are economic. But many of those reasons are avoidance of responsibility. Men don't want to grow up. Men don't want to take responsibility. I got married when I was 30. You know, partly why? I didn't want the responsibility. I'm just as guilty. Um, Suffering avoidance. Who wants to suffer? Inconvenience avoidance. We have apps. You know, I, I drive to Dallas every day. I have an app called Waze. And... I, I use that app to tell me what, what the fastest way to and from work to avoid traffic. I want inconvenience avoidance. I want to avoid construction. And, uh, and really, the, the, the saddest part is reality avoidance. Reality avoidance. Today, in, in this world, we can just tune out. We can just plug in to the internet. We can plug in to video games. We can plug into Netflix and we just check our minds out. We want reality avoidance. We don't want to have to deal with the reality of everything that is going on in this world. What's, what's happening in this world, and you see the chaos on the news, you see even in our own country, you know, we, we used to see political divisions in other countries. You turn on the news and you see countries fighting and you see civil wars, but, but we have somewhat of a of an incredible division even in our own country today, and it's causing this, this terrible conflict that we have to watch being played out before our eyes. So just as Shane spoke last week, hardships and battles are a continuous part of the life of a believer and the follower of Christ. But just as God was with Joshua, God is with us as we weather the obstacles of life. As it says in Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, um, uh, God wants us to grow up until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God into mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is such a great verse because it describes what Christian maturity is. Christian maturity 
is being more like Christ. It's having Christ put his image on our hearts and our lives so that we reflect not our own nature, but the nature of Christ, his very personality, the strength, the love, the kindness, the discipline, the sacrifice, everything that we respect, everything that we honor, everything that we uh, see in, the, in who Christ is, that Christ is calling us to be. And that is our goal as we become Christians. We don't just go up to the altar and we check a box and say, okay, I'm a Christian. No, we then have to begin this struggle where we are conformed and we mature and we grow up. And that is what God is calling us to do. And so just, just like Joshua was mature in who God had called him to be, God is calling us into maturity. If we look around and we, we see each other, everyone here has the opportunity in their hearts to decide, Lord, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be mature in you. I don't want to be a baby. And part of that is just taking the initiative in your own heart and making that step and saying, Lord, I just I want to get past the, the childish things of my faith. And I want to dig deeper and I want to be the person that you called me to be. You know, one of the, one of the prayers that I pray for my children and for, for other kids' children is, Lord, help my children be the man and woman of God, even though they're, they're still really young. Help them be the man or woman of God that you have called them to be. Um, I'm casting a vision for them, and I'm also asking the Lord to put his hand of blessing upon them as he carries them through into maturity. There's a reason that Ephesians 4.13 uses the word manhood. And I know that these are sensitive subjects in this day of political correctness, but the Bible is not politically correct. There are spiritual characteristics that God wants all believers to demonstrate that are reflective of a mature man. Now, I know that we may have a hard time seeing this because a mature man is not as common as it once was. These include emotional maturity, not a childish man, not, a, not an adult man that still acts like a child and throws temper tantrums, but a mature, emotionally mature man. Unwavering stability, that is a characteristic. Men are not supposed to be erratic. Not, men are supposed to be stable. They're supposed to be leaders in their family. What if Joshua had said, oh, well, I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore, right? What kind, of, what kind of leader would he be? He would have been a schizophrenic, schizophrenic leader. That's not, that's not what Joshua was. He was a stable leader. Likewise, we are supposed to be stable in our walks. Boldness, courage, initiative. As believers, we don't wait around and do nothing. We're not do-nothing Christians. We take initiative. We, we, uh, God is calling us to be active in our lives. If we don't have a, a specific calling, we, we just, wherever we are, we start doing what we think that we're supposed to do. Um, we look around for, our, for a need. Um, likewise, as believers are grown up in the faith, we are not called to the safe path, but rather we are called to embrace all the adventure of the Christian life and accept that life will undoubtedly bring us the pain and loss and the challenges of heartache as well as the suffering of battle. Even in this church, many of you who have, who have been with us and walked with us have seen that we have fought many battles some of those battles included deep suffering, deep tragedy, deep loss, conflicts. The, the immature believer just says, oh, I'm not doing this. And what do they do? They walk away. They walk away, right? That's the immature believer. The mature believer says, Lord, you called me here. I'm going to stand faithfully. I'm going to walk through this. I'm going to see the other side. Um, inevitably, through difficulty and hardship, 
when we submit it to the Lord. Now, there, there, don't get me wrong. There, of course, are difficulties and hardship that are caused by our own sin. Not all difficulty and hardship is something that is of the Lord. And it's not always something that uh, is even ordained by the Lord. Sometimes it's just flat-out disobedience that causes difficulty and hardship. But regardless, even when we have disobedience in our lives that brings hardship and difficulty, we at that moment have a God who is merciful, merciful and forgiving. And if we submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am, forgive me, take me where I'm at and walk me through this place. He is faithful to walk, walk us through it. And he will use even our so-called mistakes, even our so-called failures, and he will use those things, as he says, as he promises in Romans 8.28, to, to build us and conform us and use those things for the blessing of those who he has called and who are called by his name and belong to him. So, so only those who boldly pursue God's will and embrace the church with all of its shortcomings just as Joshua led the Israelites, Israelites will grow into maturity. We have to stick together. God has ordained that the church body be one of the vehicles, one of the instruments of spiritual and, and just Christian maturity. It is so common, and I have been guilty of this, particularly in college I did this, is I said, Oh, Lord, I don't, I don't have a church that I can fit in with. Or, you know, this church has this problem. And this church, the pastor has a funny way of saying this word. And, and these people, I don't like this church. And, and you can come up with a million different reasons. Even I don't agree with every tidbit of doctrine. You know, we can always find something that we don't agree. And so what did I do during college? I just said, well, I'm just going to listen to the radio. I'm going to get fed through sermons on the radio. And that worked for a while. It worked for a while. But I can tell you that eventually, after several years of not going to church and not being plugged in, when I came here to Fort Worth, I went to TCU, and, and towards the end of my college, I had fallen away. But the insidious thing about veering away from your walk with the Lord is that it's a subtle, it's a subtle thing that happens slowly, slowly, every day. It's like when you see your children growing, you know, when you see them every day, you don't realize, but when you go home and you visit your, your family members and all of a sudden you see a nephew or a uh, a niece or someone that you haven't seen in a year, and all of a sudden they've changed into a different person. You're like, oh my gosh, you've changed. And, and you don't see those subtle changes in your own children because you see them every day. And that's sometimes how it is when we slowly veer off spiritually. We have to stick together. God is at work through all of us. God needs me to be plugged into you all. God needs you all to be plugged in together. God has called his church together as an instrument to demonstrate that he is real. It's an instrument of his uh, glory. It's an instrument of his love to the world. We standing together, we can gather together here, people from every different background and every different uh, you know, uh, ethnicity, we come together, but we are all one in Christ. It's an amazing thing. And God has called us to stick together, not just here at Hope Works, but us as just a, a church across America, a church across this world. We are called to stick together as believers and be a shining light of witness and testimony to the world, a world that's filled with darkness. So continuing on, I haven't even actually tackled uh, any, any verses yet except for verse 1. So let's go to verse 2. Um, God tells Joshua that uh, he needs to divide up the land. In verse 2, God continues speaking to Joshua, listing the land that yet remains to be conquered. 
in verse 6, God tells Joshua, I myself will drive them out before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. He's very specific. God wanted Joshua to do it exactly the way he commanded. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now, I'm skipping part of this chapter. It's quite an endeavor, and I, for the sake of time, we simply don't have time to go through the history of the all 12 tribes. So I'm going to give you the really abbreviated version, and I didn't feel like that is exactly what God was calling me to speak on today. So I'm giving you an abbreviated version. Um, and, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, if you all have, uh, if you all are blessed by the sermon, you'll go back and read through the whole chapter because it, is, it really is an amazing chapter. Um, there, there are, how many tribes are there? There's 12 tribes, right? And, and this part is a little bit confusing, and I don't want to give you all a long study, but in verse 7 it says, divide the nine tribes. Well, only nine tribes... Uh, are allotted land, um, and we'll see in, in a few few minutes uh, as we continue, the nine tribes are in what is the promised land. Uh, three of the tribes end up on the east side of the Jordan River, and one of the tribes, which I'm going to continue on, the Levites are not given any land. So let's continue. Um, uh, the the uh, In verse... In verse 8, we see that, that God allots land on the east side of the Jordan with the other half of the tribe of Manasseh. The tribe of Manasseh is actually the descendants of Joseph. And that tribe is split in two. The Reubenites and the Gadites receive their inheritance, which Moses gave them, beyond the Jordan eastward. As Moses... The servant of the Lord gave them. Now, if any of you have studied Numbers uh, 32 through 34, Moses granted the lands east of the Jordan to the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. So they, they had been wandering the desert, and the Israelites got right to the Jordan, and several of the tribes, particularly Reuben and Gad, said, Oh, this is beautiful. We'll just stay here, Right? They said, we're almost there anyway. This is great. We'll, we'll just take this land. So, so Moses wasn't very pleased about that, and neither was the Lord. So, so when, we, when we try and understand why, why are there these tribes that aren't included, well, this is why, because there were several tribes that opted to just settle for that land east of the Jordan River. Now, continuing on in verse 14, the priestly tribe, the tribe of Levi, however, had no allotment of the land, according to verse 14 uh, in Joshua chapter 13. Let's, let's read that, chapter, uh, verse 14. To the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offering by fire to the Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. Rather, the Levite tribe were to be scattered throughout the other tribes. So the Levites, God had designated a, a group of people, uh, a, 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 a tribe, a group of descendants to be the ministers, basically, the priestly tribe, to minister to the rest of Israel. And they were... If you look back in Numbers, which is a great cross-reference to what, where we're going through in Joshua, Numbers 35, verses 1 through 8, God relates uh, the command to Moses to establish 48 cities to the Levites, of which six would function as cities of refuge to which a manslayer could flee. And these cities of refuge were places where, were, were places where people could receive mercy if they had committed a, in, an involuntary manslaughter. So, so where does that leave us today? So we see, we see some significance here. Let me just sum it up to where we've been, all right? 
chapter 12, God, we had the listing of God's faithfulness in conquering 31 kings and city-states throughout the promised land. This is God's faithfulness. They've done an assessment. God tells Joshua, you're old, but yet, you know what, I'm not finished with you. But nevertheless, I want you to go ahead and declare the allotment of land and designate territories to each tribe. Yes, there are still battles to be fought, but I want this to be declared so that the tribes can see what land they're going to receive. The, the tribes east of the Jordan, they were the tip of the spear in these battles. They were faithful to join the other tribes, the other nine tribes, and fight alongside of them before they received their land. So they left their women and children, and the men came and they fought alongside the other tribes, and they conquered these 31 tribes. Now uh, we get to the, the Levites. The Levites were designated to be the spiritual tribe, and they did not get any land, but they had an important role among the other tribes, and God uh, had declared that they would have a special inheritance for themselves, right? So, so what can we pull out as believers from this chapter? Um, the Lord impressed upon my heart uh, several things as I was going through this chapter. Um, you know, we recently, I was, it was actually several months ago, I was reading an article about a megachurch and a, a well-known um, pastor had said that we need to detach ourselves from the Old Testament. Our, our Christian church, uh, our modern-day church needs to detach ourselves from the Old Testament. Well, it's caused a bit of a stir and not nearly as much of a stir as it should have because that is the furthest thing from the truth. The Old Testament is so much part of what we know today. Without the Old Testament, we cannot understand what God is doing the here and now. And I'm, if I'm like you, you know, I've been really disturbed about what is happening in the world. I'm disturbed by it. I'm disturbed. I'm so disturbed. I turn on the news, and honestly, you know, I can't read the news anymore before I go to bed at night. I'm just so disturbed by, by what is happening around the world. And as Christians, we can become disheartened. We can lose hope, right? But you know, one of the things that the Lord has, has reiterated in my life is He said, I've got this under control. This is all, this is all in my plans. And one of, the way, one of the many ways that God demonstrates His sovereignty, one of the ways that God demonstrates that He is in control is through where He has brought us. As we read through these uh, chapters in the Old Testament, some of you may, who, who aren't familiar with the Old Testament, he's like, why are we reading through this old history? What does this have to do with us? This happened 3,000 years ago. But you know what? This is, these things that happened 3,000 years ago have everything to do with God's unfolding of modern history. You look at the nations that surrounded Israel. What is, what is the biggest thorn in our side today as far as uh, world geopolitics? It's the nation of Israel. The United Nations, what tiny little insignificant, and I put those in, in quotation marks because it's not an insignificant to God and it's not insignificant to us, but what insignificant little nation is the focus of so much attention on the news and in the UN. It's this nation of Israel. Why? Because God has placed it there as a stumbling block to demonstrate his sovereignty, this little tiny country, not only of his faithfulness, that the, that the Israelites are returning to this nation that he promised them, and here he has the world turned upside down over it, right? Because the Lord is really behind the scenes working. 
and he is in charge. I'm, gonna, I'm just only going to veer for one second because that I have your attention, I think it's really important. And I know that this is something that Shane would agree with me on. And there is a, a theology out there that is really concerning to me, and I don't want any of you to be deceived by it. If you're like me and you want to know what's going on in this world, there, there, is, there is a theology called replacement theology. It's basically that, that the church has replaced Israel in the Bible. Don't be fooled by this. This is not something that is, uh, this is not something that is properly reflected in God's word. The view that Israel and the church are different is clearly taught in the New Testament. God has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for his church. Biblically speaking, the church is distinct from Israel and the terms church and Israel are never to be confused or used interchangeably. We are taught from Scripture that the church is an entirely new creation that came into being on the day of Pentecost and will continue until it is taken to heaven at the rapture. Ephesians 1, 9 through 11, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. The church has no relationship to the curses and blessings for Israel. The covenants, promises, and warnings of the Mosaic Covenant were valid only for Israel. Israel has been temporarily set aside in God's program during these past 2,000 years of dispersion. See see Romans 11. It's a great chapter where Paul pours his his heart out and and he explains what God is doing. And, And just... Seeing the nation of Israel today is a testimony that God is real, that what he promised the Lord, that he would bring them back. There's no other nation, no other religion, no other group of people who, after being dispersed throughout the world for 2,000 years, that they have been brought back into uh, existence in their original homeland. And God is doing amazing things. I am... I'm, someone who's privileged to have traveled to Israel and see what God is doing over there. Um, We we shouldn't uh, neglect Israel because Israel is an instrument of God's testimony of his faithfulness to the Jews. Now the Jews, they get to heaven the same way we get to heaven, through Yeshua, through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ. Yeshua is Jesus, but in Hebrew. We all serve the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The method, and we can read this, if you, if you doubt me, read through Romans 11. Jesus came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. We're all Gentiles here for the most part. So God's plan remains the same. The gospel remains the same. We all share the same gospel, but God has a plan and a continuing plan for Israel, and I'm sure that Shane is going to continue to talk about that plan. So, so what about, what, where does it leave us as believers today? We've talked about Israel, we've talked about God's faithfulness, we've talked about uh, the allotment of the, the 12 tribes, but we also have a spiritual inheritance. We as believers have a spiritual inheritance. Um, you know, Many of you all may not know this, but I actually come from a family that has a, a sizable ranch in in West Texas. It's along the the Mexican border. It's it's part close to Big Bend. I actually have a degree in ranch management from TCU. Now I know I look like a city slicker, but uh, you know my favorite uh, job at the ranch was castration. So. Uh, you all need to stay away from me if you all, uh, you know, get, get on my wrong side. Um, and, and fortunately, I had that, that life experience to work with my hands. Um, now, working on a ranch is hard work, and it's not necessarily lucrative. And, and like a lot of big ranches, we went through some infighting with family members. It's been in our family since the 1800s. And when you get when you have a piece of land that's been passed down generation after generation, 
and it's, it's only ranching. It's, it's all there is. There's nothing else out there. And it's desert. It's a lot like Israel. You see, you, it, at times when it rains, the grass will grow, but other times it's just desert, and you need a lot of land for a few, uh, a small herd of cattle. And uh, over time, you know, people start fighting, and um, we, we had a lot of division in, in uh, generations above me, and, and I went through TCU, I had every intention of being active in that ranching, and um, this, this infighting amongst my family members had gotten so, f- to use a big word, there was so much vitriol, there was so much uh, hatred amongst family members, and I saw that this hatred was starting to kind of take root in my own heart, and, and a seed of bitterness had taken root in my own heart, and it was, it was very, very uh, disconcerting. And, and you, if you ever feel like you have something that's yours that's taken away, this righteous indignation starts to boil up, right? And, and I, I'm so fortunate that I, I have been called by the Lord. And one night, the Lord kind of slapped me across the face and he said, Luke, this is not yours. This is not your land. You didn't go out there and settle this. I didn't give it to you. Why, why are you losing your joy? Why are you losing everything that I've given to you? You can't enjoy it. None of the blessings that I've given to you, uh, you you're not able to enjoy them because you're so focused on this other thing, this thing that is not even yours. And, and in that moment, I had to get down and I had to repent and I had to say, sorry, Lord, I'm sorry. I let this thing over here become my focus. This piece of land that's going to fall away, it's going to burn up, it's going to go away. I'm not taking that to heaven. And what was happening to me in the meantime, I was hating. I was hating this person because they did this. I was hating this person because they, they were just, they were wrong about this and even family members, and I was letting my Christian witness kind of become caustic and putrefied, and I had to get down on my knees and repent, and what, what was it that I had that was so much greater? It was a spiritual inheritance that the Lord has given us that will never perish, it will never be taken away from us, a spiritual inheritance that God has given us. 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4, says that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertained, pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellent, excellence, by which He has granted us to be his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We have been given an amazing inheritance by God. Now let me just talk about what, I'm just going to talk briefly as I wrap this up. And um, I'm going to walk through, there, there are six things, and there, this is not a complete list, so please, if, if you think of other things, this is just what I've come up with, and, and I think it's a good summary. But, um, you know, what, it, what is our spiritual inheritance that we have been given? We are so fortunate. And, you know, we look, we look at the days of the Old Testament, and we see how God worked. Believe me. The days that we're living in, in this century, in this millennia, are so much better. They're so much better. Why? For so many reasons. But God is working just as much as he was 2,000 years ago. But also, we have something so wonderful called the presence of God through the Holy Spirit living with us. It's something 
that many of the Old Testament believers did not have. So, so number one, this is our spiritual inheritance. We are forgiven. We are forgiven. Ephesians 1, 17. That we, we have been forgiven for all, everything that we've done. Everything that we have uh, carried. And, and for those of you who think that you're good people, God has just not revealed and taken away the veil to see the wickedness in your own hearts. Even for you churchgoers that carry your Bible, that there is a wickedness that exists in the human heart that you inherited from Adam. And every, every sin, every evilness, there is the capacity for that sin that we're born with. Now, if you like philosophy, that, that there's, a, there's a lot of philosophers who, pre, who, who say that we are born with a blank slate, and that's just not the biblical perspective. If you want to have a biblical worldview, the worldview is that we were born into sin. The sin is passed down generation to generation, and that we need Jesus, every single one of us, even those of us who consider ourselves holy in our own right. This was a hard thing for me, you know, to just to speak about how God uses even our failings, even our failings for his glory. I told you that I stopped going to church in college and I had a falling away. And, and it was a hard thing because I wasn't living like anything like a Christian. In fact, I had a, I have a, I had a Christian brother who knew I was a believer and he saw me, he came by my apartment one morning after um, um, let's just say that I, I had been imbibing and he was just like, Luke, what, what's wrong with you, man? And um, he, he, just, he just had like sadness for me and I'm still friends with this man and I've thanked him many times for praying for me and getting me through those things. But, but you know, the Lord used that time of falling away to humble me and for me to see my own wretchedness. And when I was able to see my own wretchedness, I was also able to see the glory and the magnificence of the gospel message. Any of you who have committed a grave sin, and if you look at the gospel testimony and you see the great leaders in the Bible who committed great sins, whether it be Peter, who I love to quote, we're going through Peter right now in, in, on Wednesday night Bible study, uh, or if if uh, you, you love any of the epistles of Paul, Paul fell. He was a murderer of Christians. He was a persecutor of Christians. Peter was a blasphemer, denied Jesus after walking with him. What is it about these men? They needed grace. They needed grace. And we likewise, every single one of us need grace. And our spiritual inheritance is this mercy and grace and this forgiveness. We are forgiven. Number two, we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 No matter what you were before, you have been born again. Yes, I'm one of those crazy born-again Christians. You know why? Because Jesus speaks of it in John chapter 1. And you have to be born again. Jesus said it many times. And you are given a new nature. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are given a new nature. God breathes life into you. You are given a spiritual birth, a birth, a spiritual birth that is, you are born of an incorruptible seed, something that will never fade. Ephesians 1.13 is one of my favorite verses because it says, when you believed and you were given you received the word of truth. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you were given the guarantee of eternity. That is God, when you were saved, God places a seal, just like the old seal of a king, where it was a wax seal. And he said, when, in the old days, they, the king would send a letter, and he would put his wax seal on this letter, and if anyone broke it, there was, it was punishable by death. Right? This is the guarantee of God. God is saying, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has put a wax seal upon your life. And he has sealed you 
not just with a wax seal, he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And he said, you are mine, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit as a guarantee, as, an, as a deposit. And nothing is greater than, the, than my power, and no one can break this seal. You are sealed by my power, and nothing will break this. This is my guarantee that you will enter into eternity. What a wonderful message of hope and excitement and uh, just what we have waiting for us. What a wonderful inheritance we have now. The gospel is for us now, and it's not just for eternity. We can walk with assurance of what Christ has given us. Number three, we are justified before a righteous God through the message of the gospel that Jesus Christ He took our sin. He that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus had to live a perfectly righteous life. And that righteous life that he lived, if you read through the Gospels, Jesus was very particular about following every single rule, never once failing to complete every one of the rules that were required for righteousness. Now, he did break some of the made-up rules that the Pharisees had made up. But as far as uh, the Old Testament rules, he, he held to faithfully to every single one of those. And, and he did that because that righteous life that he lives is imputed upon us. This is also known as the great exchange in theology, that we are righteous not because... We live righteous lives. Now, we are called to live righteous lives, but that righteousness, that righteousness that we enter into heaven with is the righteousness of Christ. It's not our own righteousness. Now, we are called to do good works. We are called to be transformed in our walk, right? We are called to be different. But at no point is God going to let you into heaven based on what you are doing. It will always be based on what Christ did. We're all entering into heaven on the same ticket, and that is on the grace of the cross, the righteousness that is imputed to us. We are being sanctified, Hebrews 10.10. Sanctified means that we are becoming set apart. When When we receive Christ, how many of you received a miraculous healing and we're able to drop an addiction. We're able to drop whatever sin that you are struggling with, whatever bondage. There are people that, that have that miracle happen to them, and that is real. There are many people that are addicted to whatever it may be. They receive Christ, and at that moment, the, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit just chops off that addiction, and they never return to it. They're freed from it forever. But I would say that 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 is not the norm. For most of us, we receive Christ, and only as we walk, as we abide, as we grow, the chains of sin, they fall off as we are conformed and we are made more holy, and we become more likened to the face of Christ as we grow in our faith. Number five, we are chosen. We are chosen. This means that we're not accidental. God wants us to know that we're not just accidents. God has a plan for us. God knew us. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He knew us from the beginning. Even even the plan of salvation was something that God orchestrated from the very beginning before creation. How important is it for us to let our kids know that they're not accidents? That in God's world, there, there is nothing accidental. He knows everything that's going to happen. We need to know, I need to know, as a type A perfectionist, that, that I may not be able to be in control, but there is a God who is in control, right? There's a God who controls everything. I need to know that. If you look in a world of chaos, everyone's looking for their little bit of how they can save the world. Well, I, I, I believe in doing good things for the world, but let me tell you that you're not going to save it. There's only one thing that's going to save this world, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then, number six, we are appointed a purpose. 
And I quote several verses here, but God has given us a purpose. God has given us a purpose as believers. We are called into salvation by God's character to glorify him. He saves us to, for his glory, but also as we are saved. There's several verses. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 describe salvation perfectly. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves, lest no man may boast. But, but then we also forget verse 10, because we are saved un, unto the good works that God has prepared for us. These good works are the fruit of our salvation. They are not what causes us to be saved. We, we are appointed a, a purpose as a church, which I spoke of earlier. When we get saved, we don't just poof and evaporate and enter into heaven. God wants us to mature into believers. God wants us to share in this walk of maturity amongst each other. Um, God wants us to be a witness to the world. God wants us to be instruments in his hand. And, and last week, I, I, I wasn't in town, but I listened to Shane's sermon, and, and I love this uh, Reformation uh, um, explanation of salvation. You know, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That was my, my topic one, we are forgiven. We're, we're saved from the penalty of sin. When we receive Christ, we, sa- we are saved from something. What is the penalty of sin? It's judgment. It's judgment and eternal separation from, from God. That's something that's real. It's something that this world doesn't want to <coughs> listen to or hear about. Number two, we are saved from the power of sin. We, uh, the, the power of sin is that thing that keeps pulling us back, but but you, if you hear from your unbelieving friends, well, I've got to clean up my life before I can go to church with you, right? How many people have heard that? We all, we all have heard that. But it's not possible. You're only able to clean up your life after you have been freed from the power of sin through the Holy Spirit. Now, this power of sin still remains, but we are not in bondage to it. As long as we have a physical body, our sin nature will still remain, and God has a plan for that, because we battle against this flesh and blood, right? And, and part of our spiritual walk is choosing to abide in the Spirit. As we walk with God and we grow, our spiritual man is matured, and our spiritual man grows in to the, the person that God wants us to be. We're not called to be spiritual weaklings, we're supposed to be spiritual adults, and so that's the power of sin. But one day, one day we're going to be glorified and we're going to be delivered from even the presence of sin. And so we're not fully freed from sin until we die. And that's when we're going to be completely freed, we're going to be completed in Christ, and we're going to be freed from the presence of sin. Now, if, you, if you're one of those people that believe that you don't sin anymore since you got saved, come talk to me afterwards, and we'll pray with you, all right? So, um, so let me, let me just, let's, let's just finish this up. And, um, you know, one, one of the important stories that we have here is that three of the tribes decided to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. It was the Reubenites, the Gadites... And then half-tribe of Manasseh, which were half of the descendants of Joseph. I would say today, that's, that is the comfortable place for, for the church. We, we want to stay on the east side of the Jordan. That's where God uh, has, has saved us. We want to be a Sunday morning Christian, but don't bother me during the week. I'm going to go and do my life during the week. I don't want to be conformed. I don't want to ever have to tell anyone I'm a Christian. I don't want to have to work on my faith. I don't want to have to invest in my walk at all during the week. I'll be a Sunday morning Christian. And there's something to be said about this because this is not entering in to the promised land. This is not entering in to what God has for us. There, there are people who are constantly 
in a state of turmoil. And this has been me. This was, when I tell you about the time that I stopped going to church and I was living like the world was living, <clears throat> that was me on the east side of the Jordan. That was me failing in to enter into the promises, the spiritual promises that God had for me. That's not what God wants for us. It's not what God wants for his church. God wants the best for us. God does not want us to be spiritual, uh, half-hearted children. He doesn't want us to be uh, uh, partially disobedient. He doesn't want us to have one foot in his will. I would say the church, but the church and the world really, for most people, it's, it's, it's not very different, you know? It's, it's, it's half of it in his will, half of it in the world. Don't just think that this is something I'm preaching to you. I, I preach to myself when I, when I say these words. And, and so how are we going to be effective as a church? We have to be like the nine tribes who were willing to do the hard thing. They didn't see the fertile land on the east side of the Jordan and said, hey, this is good enough. I'll just plant here. But what happened to those tribes? They, they were the first to intermingle with the other tribes that didn't love the same God. They were the first to bring in other gods and other religions. And these other religions, this is not about diversity. These other religions sacrificed their children on altars of fire. And they watched their children burn and they did that for God. This was not something that was okay. This wasn't okay. When, when the hard times came and the judgment came and the other tribes came to conquer, those tribes that were on the outside of God's designated blessing and, their, and the promised land, those tribes that were living outside of God's physical uh, allotment were also the first tribes to fall and be taken into captivity. If you see, who is it that is being taken into captivity by the world? It's, it's those people who are trying to live a double life. And, and this is something real that's going on today. We, we have a battle for a Christian worldview. We have a battle for a Christian culture. We need to hold fast. Our, our faith has the answer to the world's problems. Don't tell me, just turn on the TV, don't tell me that the world has the answers. They don't. They don't have the answers. The world is in chaos. The world is in chaos. But we know by God's word that God has the answer. God has the answer for us as individuals. He's got a plan for our lives. He's got a plan for our church. He's got a spiritual blessing for us in Jesus Christ. So let's just pray. Let's just finish with a prayer. Kyle, if you'll come on up and, and we'll just finish in worship. And let me just close this out. And let me just pray for God's hand of blessing on us. Let, let us pray that we would all be bold enough to receive the spiritual inheritance that, that God has for us. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, please come see me afterwards so I can pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your love that pursues us. I thank you for your love that pursues a man like me, a man that would run away from you if left to his own devices. But you have called me, you've called everyone here today to your kingdom, to be one of your children. Pour out your grace upon this church. Let your rivers of grace and love and blessing and anointing and purpose pour out upon this people, this church. Let it pour out upon America, the, the believers who are called by your name, by the called by your name, the servants who, who, who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord. We need you, Heavenly Father. Our church needs you. Our city needs you. Our state needs you. Our country needs you, Lord Jesus. Our world needs you, Lord Jesus. Be our Lord and our God. Be Lord of our hearts. 
be Lord, fight the battle in our own hearts. May you sit on the throne of the heart of every individual here. Be Lord of this heart right here, Lord Jesus. I need you. Forgive me. Forgive me for settling on the east side of the Jordan. Forgive me for saying it's okay to take what is second best and try to live a double-minded life. I thank you, Lord, that you are good. I thank you for all of your blessing. I pray for you to be with us and go before us and behind us just as you led Joshua and all of the faithful tribes into the promised land. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise the name of Jesus over this church, over this people, and over our land. You are Lord and you are God, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.